Good morning. How is everyone? Kidmo kids, number one thing, you are dismissed. I am so proud of myself. I did not forget that today, and usually I forget that. Or Mark forgets it, and I have to remind him or something. But uh, good to see y'all this morning. How many have the Christmas spirit this morning? Woohoo! I, I, I sense that. I also sense a, a, a spirit of the Grinch in here, I believe. How many have the spirit of the Grinch this morning? Bah humbug. Uh, We've got at least one honest, couple of honest people here. Yeah. How many of you just came in this morning feeling drained? Yeah, we got some. Every one of them is a lady. I, I don't know what that signifies. Is it, do your husbands not bake and clean the house and decorate for you like I do at our house? Uh, uh, Karen, I think you're supposed to be in the children's area today. Yeah, yeah, I was actually going to help Karen do something in the kitchen last night, and I helped her by staying out of the way and sleeping on the couch, I think. So, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy time of year. I'm glad to see all y'all that, that made an effort to come out this morning. There is so much going on. You can tell from our announcements all that's been going on. We had kids out caroling yesterday and just all kinds of good stuff going on. But you know, you, you've heard, you know, sometimes there's too much of a good thing. And sometimes that's the way we feel at Christmas. And it's it's just this this trying to, everything has to be perfect. Your house has to be perfect. Your family has to be perfect. Your your Christmas portrait has to be perfect. You know, you, you all line up. You know, it's it's like, you know, how many times did it take to get that perfect Christmas photo with the kids and the dog and the Christmas tree and the lighting's right and everybody's smiling and the dog's not chewing the tree, you know. You know, we, we just have this vision of everything being perfect at Christmas time, but it never has been, even in the time of Christ. Christmas was not a perfect time. It was a time, sometime of hardships and things going on and things we struggled with. And, you know, this is a hard time of year for some of us uh, because of that. And, and one thing, just a quick plug there while I'm thinking that if you are having a hard time this Christmas, we have one more session of chaos management for this year, and we're calling it Christmas Chaos. So this Wednesday... 6.30, we, we kind of start gathering, hanging out, drinking coffee. 7 o'clock, we kick it off. If you want to come and just talk about Christmas and Christmas frustration, this is the class for you this week. We want to just get together and, you know, just kind of decompress a little bit. And it's been really fun so far, but just wanted to make sure that's an open invitation to anybody that's here today or any of your friends or whatever. This is a 100% open group, and we'd love to have you there if you'd like to come and, and talk about those things. Now, this, this month, our series has been talking about Christmas stories, various characters we've talked about. Who can tell me who we've talked about so far? Let's see who's paying attention. Yes, sir. Joseph and Mary. Very good. Now, Joseph and Mary, when you hear these characters, what do you think? Oh, the wonderful first couple, you know. Everything was great with them. And Mark's kind of shown you there were some sacrifices involved in their lives. That things weren't as perfect as, we, as we'd like to imagine. And they had to... They had to really do some soul searching and things within themselves to, to do what they did. But when we hear the Christmas story, we always think of Mary and Joseph and the little baby and the wise men and the angels and all that cool stuff, don't we? Who do we not think about in the Bible usually? Who would be my... Now, if I'm... You should be able to tell from my shirt... If we're talking about characters in the Bible, am I going to be talking today about the good guys or the bad guys? Bad guys, the villains, the evil dude, the, the person that tried to ruin Christmas. We're going to talk about Herod today. I thought the Grinch was very appropriate for this. Herod wanted nothing to do with this Christmas story. He tried to keep it from even happening, and we're going to go into that today. But yeah, there's always 
an antagonist in, in Scripture. And who do you think is behind that antagonism all the time? It's Satan. It's not Herod, it's Satan. And I want us to see that today as we go through and talk a little bit about the lifestyle of Herod and who he was and, and what he did. And we'll talk about his lack of willingness to sacrifice anything. And I think it's going to be an interesting day. So guys, before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this uh, opportunity today, Lord, to come and, and speak before your people. Lord, I just pray I'll be filled with your spirit and say the things you would have me to say, Lord. And uh, Lord, help us to to realize some things maybe and do some soul searching ourselves today and, and, and look into ourselves and see what our true character is like at times, Lord. And uh, just pray that you'll you'll help us to realize the things that are required to be a Christian sometimes, God, that aren't always aren't always as pleasant as we like them to be, God, but but you have a bigger purpose in mind, and that's what I want to get across today, Lord. I just pray that you'll help me to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what do we know about Herod? Just just from history, from your Christmas stories, what, what, was, what was Herod all about? Himself. himself. Oh, good answer. Yeah, what, what else? And being all about himself, what did he want to do? Kill all the babies. Have y'all heard this story? This is very interesting. Many of you may not have even heard this because it's not a typical Christmas message because it's not a, it's not a super, you know, feel-good type thing to talk about this time of year. But let's look at it in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Now, after Jesus was born, keep in mind, Jesus has already been born at this time. In Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Okay, let's do a little historical background. Herod is the king. He's the king of the Jewish people. What did we just see the wise men tell him? Look at this last verse. According to prophecy, what it said. It said, O you Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. You're the guy in power. Does that sound like a threat to you? Sounds like, hey, somebody's coming along to take my place. And it's even prophesied, which makes it even worse. I'm a religious enough person to realize that's bad news. That means something's going to happen, and it's going to take my authority. Now, another key thing in that verse I think for us to look at is he was troubled and all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. What does that mean? That means when Herod's mad, you better duck and cover. Because things bad are fixing. It's like the old saying, when mama ain't happy, nobody's happy at the house. When Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy in Jerusalem. Because there are bad things going to happen. And he has this, this reputation as well deserved. Just to give you some background, Herod, who he was. Had a horrible temper. <coughs> excuse me, led him to kill his father-in-law, brother-in-law, and his wife, Mamni. So look at these people he's killed. He's killed his father-in-law, brother-in-law, and finally his wife. Now, father-in-law and brother-in-law, y'all that get together for the Christmas 
holidays and have your in-laws in town, you may can, you may can have some sympathy for Herod in this case. You, know? you may have had all the in-laws over and not had a pleasant experience. But Herod went so far as to kill his in-laws and his own wife. Then he contemned two of his sons to death. Wow. This guy, is, he's, he's pretty hardcore. But listen to this statement. It was said that it was better to be a pig than to be one of Herod's sons. That's what Caesar Augustus said. He said, it's better to be a pig than to be one of Herod's sons. Well deserved because Herod had one more son left, and guess what he did? Killed him. Three of his sons he murdered to keep from taking his power because he felt threatened by them. Even on his deathbed, he did something, and we're going to go into that in just a minute. But, you know, this is just to kind of give you some background on how horrible this man was and why people were genuinely in fear of him. Why you didn't want to cross Herod. Why? Because he had a well-deserved reputation for the horrible things that he had done. So I want you to keep that in mind. And he did something on his deathbed that is just absolutely unbelievable to me that he did. But he did it nonetheless. So anyway, the wise men have come. They've asked Herod, say, where is this baby? You know, they, well, you know, follow the star. So they continue to, to do that in Matthew 2, verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Do you see how God is already intervening in this story? Throughout history, Satan has done things to sabotage this plan of redemption that God has for his people. Satan has always been there trying to do something. From the time of Adam and Eve to now, we see that Satan is trying to keep this bloodline, this line that redemption is going to come through God's own son, he has tried to prevent that bloodline from coming through. You know what? It didn't take God by surprise, though, did it? He just simply came to the wise men in a dream and told them, don't go back that way. Don't go back to Herod. He, you, you have no need to go there. Go a different way. See, God was already intervening in this fabulous redemption story because he has our best interest at heart, and he knew what needed to be done. So... The wise men departed and went back towards their own country. Now, who does that leave? What were they supposed to do? They were supposed to come back and tell Herod, weren't they? Well, I'm sure, you know, a few days go by, and then maybe a week or so, and Herod's like, uh, where are the wise guys at? Hey, you know, those guys from the east, what happened to them? I want to know where they're at, you know. Hey, somebody find you know, it, it's just like in all the movies. Would you have liked to have been the messenger that came to Herod and said, uh, we're not quite sure what happened to them. Okay, there's probably two more we can add to the toll of people that didn't make it in Herod's regime. You know, it, would you want to bring Herod the bad news that, ah, uh, yeah, we kind of sort of lost track of them and we don't know where they went. So because of this, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise man's report of the star's first appearance. A lot of, lot of facts in this verse. Why would he do boys two years and under? Well, because it had taken the wise men time to travel here. So when that star first appeared, they had been traveling this time, and he wanted to make sure that he didn't miss anything. 
He wanted to go back and from this time backwards eradicate any baby boy that could possibly be a threat to him. He wanted them killed. He did not want that threat to him. He wanted to make sure that he had an absolutely rock-solid handle on his power and wanted to make sure that he took any of his foes out and that they were not a threat to him because Herod feared losing his power and position. You know, I've never had power and position. Anybody in here got that? I don't even know what it's like. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure if I'd want to lose it or not, but I'm not sure, you know, what it would be like to have that kind of... It seems to me like it would almost be a relief, you know? Have you ever noticed that, that in, in our political system, presidents, do they seem happier when they're out in office or when they get out? I mean, when they get out, they've grayed, they've, they've aged, they, they look worn down, and they're just happy to get rid of the power. But not Herod, man. He wanted to keep it no matter what. And he just had this fear of losing what he had. And I want you to think carefully on this. Satan uses the fear of losing what we have to prevent us from receiving what God wants us to have. Sometimes the harder we hold on to something is blocking what God wants us to have. Have you ever thought of that, how difficult that can be to give up something? Now, you know, we talk often about giving up things that are bad for us, and that's, that's fairly logical. You know, give up the bad things, you know. That's a, but, you know, do you want to give up the good things in your life? I, I'm not, anybody here want to volunteer today to give away their stuff? It's Christmas time. I will take your stuff, you know. I will t- if you're just looking for a recipient, let's see. You, and all of you guys know I'm a car guy, right? Let's see. So far on my list of things to give up, I have th- three or four people in here have a red car I like, a white car I like, and another white car I like. So if any of you are feeling the need to give up that stuff, hey, give it to me. I, I want to relieve you of that burden this Christmas. I don't want you to feel you have to hang on to that. It may be a stumbling block for you, but I assure you it wouldn't be for me. I mean, seriously, we want to hang on to the stuff we've got, don't we? We don't want to give up things. We may not have power and position and can't identify with that, but we can certainly identify with, in all honesty, we all have a comfortable lifestyle compared to other places in the world. You know, we all live comfortably. We don't want to give that up. Why would we? But sometimes God has a different plan for us. Sometimes God has a, a bit of redirection in our lives. Let's go back to this Christmas story now. Look, Mary and Joseph... Jesus has been born. He's growing. He's a child now. This is not all happening as he's a baby. This all didn't happen Christmas night. I want y'all to get that also in your head in a time frame. You know, Jesus wasn't born. And the same night, the wise men came to Herod. The next day, they went and saw the little baby in the manger and everything happened. It didn't happen that way. There's a time frame there. Could be as much as two years we're talking about because of when the star first appeared. There's not a definite timeline there. But the little thing you see with the baby in the manger, in the stable, with the wise men around him, it's not historically accurate. That's not what happened. So you have to kind of think about this. But so the very next thing that happens to this story is Mary and Joseph have, have had the baby. They're here. They're, they're living. You know, you know, I wonder one thing, too. When the wise men came to Mary and Joseph, there's no record in Scripture that they mentioned what Herod had said. You notice that? It just kind of struck me as odd that they didn't go and say, oh, and by the way, the king was kind of really curious about your boy. You know, would you have mentioned that? And maybe they didn't. Maybe it's just not recorded. But they didn't seem to mention that in Scripture. But after the wise men had departed, this is Matthew 2, verses 13 through 15. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, now, let's stop right there. 
Why didn't God just use the wise men to do that and say, hey, by the way, you might want to get out of here. Herod's looking for you. I don't understand that sometimes. It was a, a very different thing. And God often appeared in dreams to people. And I think that probably freaked me out. I don't know. But it's just a very different way that, that things were handled in Scripture that, that I, I'll be honest, it amazes me. But nonetheless, the angel came of the Lord came to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now that's an interesting little thing. You know, God is always working behind the scenes. There's, there's this great battle between a defeated foe, Satan, and him trying to mess around in God's plans and God just constantly being a step ahead of him and just cutting his feet out from under him. And that's what he's done here. You know, God had prophesied that, hey, my son's going to be called out of Egypt because he knew that in the day Jesus was born, there would be an evil ruler named Herod that wanted to take his son's life. And he knew that he would have to have him flee somewhere and he chose Egypt. But way back in scripture, he had already predicted that because he knew what was going to happen. God had it all under control. He knew what it was going to be. Now, do you think that was a pleasant thing for Mary and Joseph? Do you, they fled to a foreign country. They fled their homeland because they were so persecuted that they thought that they would be killed. And obviously, we've already, in our, our past couple of Sundays, talked about how God spoke to Mary, how God spoke to Joseph. You know, you have no reason to doubt him. Everything he said has happened. You know, you've had this baby. It's a miraculous thing. If you're telling me to get out of the country, I'm going to go. God often redirects our lives for his purposes. God had all of this planned out. He knew that they would have to flee to Egypt. And he had it all planned out from even the beginning of Scripture where he prophesied where, his, where the Redeemer would come from, would come out of Egypt. He had that. He had that covered. Now, let's think about this day. How many of you seen the, how many of you all use Facebook? <laughs> look, everybody's going, I don't use Facebook. Not me. I never look at that. No, no, I don't use Facebook. Yes, you do. And Santa's seen it and he's bringing you a Bible. And <laughs> have you seen that Facebook meme? Now, I love that one. Santa's read your Facebook feed and you're getting a Bible for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. And some of us probably need that. But yeah, on Facebook, one of the things that's been, been pretty crazy that I've seen lately is have you seen the one that that about the refugee crisis, which is a real thing in Syria? And I don't. Mark spoke about it a little bit a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, there are people fleeing for their lives, Christians and Muslims from that country. And have you seen the one? Would you welcome a Middle Eastern refugee into your home? And it's talking about Jesus and has a picture of the nativity. I thought, wow, that's that's kind of interesting there. And would we welcome him in? Now, some of us don't welcome him in. There are people that hate Jesus as much as they do. Anyone, you know, but have you ever thought about what it's like to be a refugee, have to flee your home, have to go away from everything you know? You know, can you imagine what the Egyptians thought? Now, we're not going to be political this morning, I promise, because I hate that. And I'm going to say why in a minute. But you've heard all the arguments pro and con about refugees in our country. You know, they're going to come kill us, they're going to do this, or we need to let them all in because they are, they're being killed and there's a, there's a line in there somewhere, a balance that we have to trust God to direct us in. But now, we've got 
these people fleeing to Egypt. Now, some of you who are Bible scholars maybe, maybe can remember this. I'll even give you a movie. I like to use this movie as a reference because everybody almost is. How many of you have never seen the movie The Ten Commandments? There's a couple. Just very few that have never seen this movie. This is the story of God's children of Israel and how they were in captivity in Egypt and how they escaped, okay? There's lots of bad things happened in Egypt during that time. And I want to say, can you imagine you're living in Egypt and it comes to you that we're going to let start letting Jewish refugees into our country? Do you remember what happened the last time we let Jews in our country? I mean, think about this. this let's pretend that I've done my research today, which I, of course, haven't because I made this up. But <laughs> let's pretend that this is, this is we've, we've gone and we've explored, we've played Indiana Jones, and we've uncovered this, this newsletter, this post that, that came out. It's you know, written in hieroglyphics, so it took me a while to translate it. And it's on papyrus and all that cool stuff. But this is, you know, think what Egyptian media would have said about this. It's hard to believe the gullibility of the Egyptian people concerning allowing a baby Jewish refugee access to our country. Hello, do you not remember what happened the last time we had Jews in our country? Plagues. Need I remind you of rivers turned to blood, raining frogs, and dead firstborn children? It'll happen again if you allow these simple-minded people that believe there's only one God into our country. Does any of that sound familiar to you? Could you not just take that and put it in modern terms and change a few names to protect the innocent, as they say? And that's what we're saying today in some cases. It's because of fear. We say these things out of fear. I would, if that had happened to me as an Egyptian person and I had lost my firstborn child, I would be leery of letting them in too. And I think that's one of the things we need to explore today is sometimes we con ourselves into thinking we wouldn't do things we would do. But one thing I want you to think about, and this is my last thing along those lines, is when our Christianity begins to fall along political lines, Christ is lost in it. Do y'all realize that? We are of a separate world, a separate system. This is not something, it's not about being conservative, it's not about being liberal, Democrat, Republican, independent, all that junk we hear on the news every day, it's not our role. Now we can go in and we can, I, I would say, vote your Christian conscience, search God, ask him what to do in those situations. But don't ever believe that your political beliefs should drive your Christian beliefs. It should be the opposite. Christ should be above all. And whatever we see in the character of Christ and what he asks us to do should be done regardless of politics and all that. Because, guys, you, you may not realize it. I have seen that alienate so many people. I have seen that Facebook. And the reason I say that is it has alienated people. It has taken people that would have maybe been receptive to the gospel, and because of something you post, they are now no longer interested in what you have to say, simply along, along those lines. So think about that. If you want to be an effective witness, sometimes you have to put your own political feelings and things to the side in order to sacrifice that to be the person that Jesus wants you to be. And it's tough sometimes, especially in our climate. But God has plans for us that just go beyond our comprehension. He's got things planned out that we would never, ever figure out. You know, things that may involve sacrifice. It's what we've been talking about this month. The things that Joseph and Mary sacrificed. We don't like to talk about that. Because we have a fear, like we said, kind of like Herod, of losing what we already have. Listen to what Jesus told Peter. This is Matthew chapter 16. He said, Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. 
Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what you what you do benefit if you and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Peter's a typical person. Peter is one of the disciples. He spent so much of his life here during this time of Jesus' ministry here on earth. He spent it side by side with Jesus. And Jesus is telling him, I'm going to go away. I'm going to die and be a sacrifice. Peter's like, no, no. Let's, let's, let's fix this, Jesus. I need to fix this. Now, what were Peter's motives in that? I don't know because the scripture doesn't clearly tell us. Obviously, because of the way Jesus responded, it wasn't the motive that he should have had because he tells him, he compares him to Satan and says, you know, get behind me, Satan. Get away from me. Your idea is not what God's plan is for my life. And so Jesus is taking this and taking it into account that I've got to do something that's unpleasant. Maybe the sacrifice was someone you're, you're near to, someone that is dear to your heart. Do you want to see them sacrifice their life for you? Do you want to see that happen? You want to find another way? You don't want to lose your friend. You don't want to lose your mentor. You don't want to lose that person that so, means so much to you. But sometimes that sacrifice is indeed part of God's plan. We often reject the idea of sacrificing something in order for God's purpose for us to be fulfilled in our lives. There are so many times that we don't want to take the hard path that God has because it involves sacrifice. It involves us doing something. It involves us giving of our time, of our talents, of our, our wealth, our resources. And we just don't want to give that up. We don't, we don't have time or we just can't give or we can't do this. You know, God, I can't do that for you. I, I just, I can't give up my lifestyle. You know, we have, have people that come through here that are missionaries in foreign countries. You don't think they've given up a lot, but you don't have to go to a foreign country to give up. Sometimes it's just the comfort that you have here. The, I think security maybe is a, the best word for it. You don't want to give up your security. You don't want to give up the things that you have established in your life that you know how they work and you know what the results will be, you don't want to give those up to go in an unknown direction that you don't know what the results will be. You follow me there? You're stepping out a little bit. You're stepping out into something and you don't really know what the result's going to be. And that brings discomfort to our lives. We all want to know what's going to happen next. We want to have this plan of I do this, this, and this, and I get this, this, and this result. It's not the way God works. You think when, you know, from what I see in Scripture, God didn't reveal, okay, Joseph and Mary, you're engaged. You're going to have my son by a miraculous event. Mary's going to have this baby as a virgin. Do you think he went on to say, and oh, by the way, right after the baby's born here, in oh, so many months, you're going to have to flee to Egypt? He didn't, really, he didn't review that. He didn't um, release that information to them. He didn't divulge that. He didn't, he didn't tell them the whole story. He just expected them, as they had already done, to act in faith that he had their best interest and he would be taking care of them and for them to just keep going a step at a time down the path he has for them. That's our problem as, as Christians is we're not willing to take that step at a time. We want to take this step, this step. But we're trying to envision over here what this step way over here looks like. God hasn't revealed that step to us. He doesn't think we need to know it or he would have told us. 
But you can be assured that God is with us during each one of those steps. But it's that fear of those steps and where I'm going to wind up. Am I going to wind up over there or back there or here or down here? Where are those steps going to lead me? And that fear of doing that drives us not to do what God would have us to do. But when we get to that point in our lives, when we get to be like Peter, we become dangerous to the cause of Christ when we only view things from the human point of view. That is so hard, guys. That is so much what drives all the political debate in our country, all the divisiveness we see in things. It's usually not because we want what's best for somebody else. Now, is it really? Do most of us base our beliefs and things we know on what's good for the others around me, or do we base it on what's best for me? If you've got two political candidates, do you think that they're trying to appeal to those that they know don't like them or those that really like them? It's an easy question to answer, guys. They want to appeal to those that are most like them and encourage you, and, and hopefully maybe you'll drag some people along. They're not trying to, to appeal to the people that don't like them. They know better. So they're trying to appease you because they know that if they can get you thinking that it's in my best interest to do something and it's going to benefit me, that's the direction I'll go. And that's the problem we have as Christians is when we start letting that take over our entire lifestyle. And I only do what looks like it's the absolute best for me from a human point of view. You know, Jesus, you know, I, I hope I've illustrated this with the story with Herod and the protection that he gave his son and, and Mary and Joseph and using the wise men and all these things. Do you not know, think God can do that for us too if we go and take the steps he wants us to take? It's that fear, that fear of, of losing what we have. And God has illustrated and been faithful throughout time that he will do what he says he will do. The problem is we're thinking of it in human terms of, okay, it's going to look like this. And when God's got this plan that we can't figure out. Now let's look at this in John chapter 18, verses 36 and 37. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into this world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus is saying, My kingdom's not of this world. You know, if his kingdom, if he had come here, and set up and wanted Christianity to rule the world, do you not think he would have used his disciples and fought against the powers there in Rome and fought against Pilate and fought against those that wanted to see him crucified and used his power as the Son of God Almighty to make sure they were in power? That was not his purpose. And that's one of the reasons that the Jews rejected him. They were looking for an earthly ruler. And he came in and he said, Hey, I've got something for you that's not of this world. My kingdom, this is something... So far, we have talked about steps today. We've talked about steps from here to here and where we wind up with, guys, that's even such an incomplete illustration there because we are working for something that's on a heavenly realm, for something that's beyond our comprehension, a kingdom that's not of this world. That's what our motivation should be. That's what we should be looking towards. You know, instead of trying to pursue the things that are best for Jesus and what he would have us to do and what benefits his kingdom and that being our number one thing, we pursue self. We pursue the things that will make us best. And the pursuit of self is incompatible with the pursuit of Christ. And you won't hear that very often because it's not a fun message. How many of y'all have ever heard Joel Osteen say that to his congregation? 
It's all about self. It's about God's going to bless you. God's going to make you better. Oh, he's got that creepy smile. I don't know about that. And he smiles at you and says, God has the best for you. And God wants you to be happy. Do you think me and Joseph were happy fleeing to Egypt? Do you think they were happy having a baby in a daggum stable with stinky animals and such? Do you think they were happy not knowing where they were going or what they were doing? That's crazy. You can just look at the Bible and see God demands sacrifice of us all the time if we're going to pursue him and do the things he wants. Mary and Joseph, do you think Joseph had a big smile on his face when he was trying to explain how his wife-to-be his wife -to -be was pregnant but he hadn't had sex with her? Do you think that was easy? Wouldn't it have been easier for him to have done what Jewish custom said and put her aside and had nothing to do with her? It's sacrifice because they had a bigger plan in mind. They had this plan that self was not as important as what Christ wanted us to do. And that's where our fears come from. Listen to this verse, Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone could, would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to give up self. Now, you may be blessed along the way. You may not be blessed along the way. I think that's the reason there's such a wide variety of characters in Scripture. You have people that were wise and rich and blessed by God. You have people that were not rich. They were poor. They never really even had anything that we can see to speak of as far as material riches. It's because God isn't judging on that scale of what we have here in this life. He is judging on an eternal scale where we're building up treasure there. But we fight so hard not to lose what we've gained in this life because it is. We, 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 we kick and scrape and, and, and try and get by and try and build a life here on, the, on this earth and we don't want to give that up. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to lose those things that we've gained. And I'm not saying this is easy. You know, this is one of the things I want us to compare ourselves to. But trying to lose nothing, Herod lost everything. Herod went through this time. He tried to absolutely ensure that nothing would happen to him. No one would take his power. No one would do this. You know what? Jesus came along. Jesus was still born. Jesus didn't even set up an earthly kingdom, so he had a fear. Jesus wasn't here to take Herod's earthly kingdom to start with, so those fears were never even realized. And you know what? Herod died alone and unloved without loving anybody. That's how Herod did. That's the sad part of this story. Herod died. Now, I told you I was going to give you a little, little taste of that earlier. You know what Herod did right before his death? He had all these people rounded up, all people in Judea there. He rounded up these, these, some of them prominent people. He rounded them up. And you know what he, he wanted to happen when he died? He wanted all those people he rounded up to be killed. It's like, ha, ah, he's a sicko, isn't he? He wanted those people killed. I can understand, you know, revenge, maybe just wanting to punish people. Do you know, even on his deathbed, that's not what that was about. Do you know why he wanted those people killed? He wanted there to be mourning in the streets and everywhere throughout the land, and he wanted people to think it was because he died that those folks were sad. You talk about a perverted idea of yourself. He, even in his death, wanted to be 
thought of as being something that he wasn't. He wanted everybody to think the reason so many folks were sad was because of Herod's death. And he was willing to put other people to death to accomplish that. Can you imagine that? Being so much into yourself and not wanting to lose anything. that. And he never had that popularity. The people didn't love him. But he was just so into it, into himself, that he wanted to make sure that when he left, everybody was sad. So that they would think they were worshiping him and sad for the loss of their, their king and their ruler. You know, how many of us are that way? If we're, we're realistic about it. Let's look at some more verses here. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. I'd just soon not read that one this morning. Go get repaid for what you've done. Oh, man, payback. You talk about payback now. What's God going to do? God is not looking to punish us, guys. That's one thing we need to realize. God is looking to reward us. It's up to us what that reward looks like based on our actions and what we do with our lives here on earth. That's where that reward comes from and how we serve him. And if we serve him selflessly and put self behind, God is going to reward us and repay us for what we've done. Again, not from my steps from here to here, but what God's observing in heaven about how we treat each other, how we act, how we treat the others on this earth, what stewards we are, the things that are given to us, how we love those around us that are different from us. God, that's God's scale of what you're going to get repaid with, not on whether you had a big house, whether you made a good career, or you raised good kids. You know, he's looking at what you did for him in this life and why you did it and what your motivation would be. And so he's, he's looking, that's how we're repaid. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. This illustration is, if you don't give much back to God, don't expect him to give much back to you as an eternal reward. If you're not willing to sacrifice and do things for him, don't expect him to just, you know, this is a great time of year to use this illustration. He is not the holy Santa Claus. He's not there just to give us everything we want. And we make out this list of God, I need this, this, this. Please bless me, bless my family, cure my friend of cancer, you know, heal me, give me a new job, I need a new car, da, 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 da. It looks more like Santa's list, doesn't it? Because it's all about self. It's about what we want. And we just, we don't sow into God's kingdom. We don't do things that are beneficial in the long run because we're so busy trying to keep up with self. And I realize this is difficult. But finally, look at Luke chapter 6, verses 22 through 23. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Sometimes when you take a stand for Christ and you say, this is the thing that we should do, you will be ridiculed, you will be politically excluded there will be lots of things happen to you because that's not a popular point of view because it doesn't speak to self it doesn't speak to self as a country as an individual anything it speaks to god and when you start making those type stands it's not popular you will see that it divides us we live in a very divisive society here in america if you have to take sides you have to be on this side or this side and we should be on that side because he tells us the kingdom we're working for is not here. Now, I'm not saying you can't do things for your community. You can't do things that, are, that work right on this earth. Yeah, yeah, those are good things to do. But keep in mind why you're doing it. What, what the eternal purpose is and why we do the things we do. You know, 
Uh, one of the illustrations I wanted to use this morning is, this is the most divisive term that I can think of this morning in America is the word Muslim. What do you think? Some people think terrorist. Uh, some people think somebody's come to take my way of life. Some people take uh, Sharia law. It's that awful law that those Muslim people live by that you have to live under where, you know, that's what it's about. You know what I very rarely hear out of that? I have not seen anywhere on social media, in the news, or anywhere a Christian leader or anybody else take a step forward and say, we should love those people because they're lost without Christ. Nobody says that because it's about self. We're not worried that what they are. You know what? And You're going to freak out at this. It's a sad day when a terrorist dies. You know why? Because that terrorist lost his soul. He did like Herod. He lost everything trying to gain something because he was on the wrong path. And it should break our hearts as Christians that that happens to anyone. Because what does God say? It's not his will that anyone be lost, but all be saved and come to him. So when we start making these divisive statements about things and stuff, if we're not doing it from Christ's point of view, before long we get swept away with the current of, of public opinion and things that are popular. That's not a popular statement to make, guys. But as Christians, we should be leading the way. And if it costs us, you know, a promotion, if it costs us people looking down on us and saying we're, you know, you're just ignorant Christians and you don't know and this is more important or this, if you ever get to the point that something is more important than people coming to know Jesus Christ, you have lost it all. You have lost the same thing that Herod has lost. You have lost your perspective. You have lost that. And it's, it's happening. Now, here's the other thing I don't want you to do. This verse is talking about persecution. This is talking about how even the prophets persecuted those who were making a stand for Christ. There's a flip side to that that is almost as worse, if not even worse. I don't know. Don't say you're persecuted when you come up and you get on the news and you ran on Facebook and you say, Oh, Lord, it is a war on Christianity because Starbucks didn't put Christmas trees and snowflakes on their cups this year. And oh, our country's doomed. We're going, oh, my goodness, it's awful because Starbucks didn't put Christmas trees and snowflakes on their coffee cups. I mean, don't you feel persecuted this morning? Don't you feel I have lost it all because I didn't get my Christmas Starbucks cup? Do you realize how ignorant we sound when we do stuff like that? We've got, this is another effect of social media. The guy that started all this, do you know why he did that? It's about self. He's a video blogger and he wanted to draw attention to himself. And he constantly pushes hot topic buttons, hoping that he will be the next internet success that gets recognized. He will be the Christian version of the Kardashians. He will be famous for being famous. He has nothing to say. He didn't say anything biblical. He didn't say anything scriptural. He just wanted to stir up the people and be recognized because he was about self. Now, some of you may not have realized this. The, we have beautiful decorations on our stage because we didn't want to be like Starbucks today. We have snowflakes. We have Christmas trees. I have a Grinch shirt. Nothing says Jesus like all that does it. I mean, think about it, folks. We got upset over putting... These symbols on a coffee cup, it's not like they took Bible verses off of it, is it? If you want Bible verses, go over here to cookout. There's Bible verses on the bag and the cup, okay? You'll feel comfortable eating there. And you can't go to Chick-fil-A today and get Christian chicken because they're closed on Sunday. But we have become a cult about being persecuted. We think, oh, I'm being so persecuted because of these things. Starbucks made a brilliant plan. 
you can use the cup throughout the quote-unquote holiday season. It doesn't become dated. And guess what? Will you be offended if you get a red cup on Valentine's Day? Would you be mad if you got one with snowflakes on it? Yeah, I'm paying $6 for that coffee. It needs a cupid on it. I mean, we're just silly about this stuff. But it's so about self. Do you see that was about self? That was about, I want to feel persecuted. I want to feel wrong by my country. You know what? If you're not feeling wrong because you're doing other things that really matter, maybe you're not doing things that matter. Maybe you need to be doing something that really matters to the cause of Christ. I want to close with this story. And it really came to me yesterday in, 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 in this lesson and thinking about what it means here on earth to, to be a, a Christian person and, and maybe not even be flashy about it. I know some of y'all have, anybody familiar with Memorial Hospital? Anybody ever work there, go there, anything? They've got a new wing called the Reese Skillern Cancer Wing. Have y'all seen that, seen it in the news or whatever? New thing that they opened down there. That's my best friend. Growing up, Reese was my best friend. Reese was unassuming. Reese never took anything from anybody. He's just a good guy. Always was. He was not a Baptist. He was of a, a little different flavor of faith because when he would visit with me, we were in Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts together. We would go and do a program somewhere. <laughs> and Reese would say, guys, all you Baptists do take up offerings? <laughs> Because they took up like a special offering and something else. He's like, man, they're going to pass that thing in. And he had a wicked sense of humor. His pastor would often run late. What time is it, by the way, before I get in trouble? I'm good. Okay, his pastor would run late. Reese told him, if you don't quit doing that, we're going to take $25 for every minute you run over out of your salary. Joking with him. So the pastor's up there preaching one day. And you know what happens as he starts running late. Reese reaches over. And acts like he's making a mark on the wall and goes like that. The pastor had to stop the sermon. He got so tickled they had to dismiss early because of his sense of humor. But that's the kind of guy he was. He was unassuming. How many of y'all are familiar with Duck Dynasty? You, you know, the Duck guys. Good old country boys that made their way, unassuming. Now, the Duck Dynasty guys have kind of bought some cars and trucks and houses and things. Reese is that story here locally, Okay. He had millions of dollars, and he would never know it to leave. He still has the same in his basement. He kept a little red Mustang, Mustang II, that he bought when we got out of high school and rode around in. It's still in his parents' basement somewhere. He didn't want to give it up. He finally had to get a new car when that one died, and he bought, like, a middle-of-the-road Honda or something. He could have bought anything he wanted. Now, I'm telling you. If I've got millions of dollars, I'm not driving around in an economy car, okay? <laughs> Just being honest here, folks. That's not my style. But this was Reese. He was unassuming. You never knew. You suspected that they had made some money in their business, but you never knew. Well, he got cancer. He got cancer twice. The second time, he didn't survive it. You know, I hate that. Wish he was still here. Yeah, I miss his, his wit. But th they had a dedication of that cancer wing yesterday. And all the politicians were there. His dad's a local politician as well. And they were there. And there was lots of shaking of hands and kissing of babies and all that stuff. And I'm thinking, you know, if Reese would hear, he'd be over here in the corner talking to me, making some sly, very off-color joke about all the politicians there. Because it's just who he was. He was funny like that. He, he was self-depreciating in his humor even. But here's a guy that lived his life out, gave to his church, gave to his community. You know what? It wasn't like when Harry died. Everybody that knew him was sad because they loved him and he loved them. And that's the legacy he left for us was love. 
And that legacy continues to go on because he has dedicated an entire wing of that facility to helping cancer patients like himself. He gave over $3 million to that institute. Never would have known he had any of it. He looked like us. He talked like us. He walked like us. He walked in love. He did the right thing all the time. And that's his legacy. Instead of the legacy of Herod where people, he was going to try to force them to be sad. Everybody was sad because this was a good guy that did the right things. And now he's going to benefit. I mean, I have a friend that's in the hospital now that is probably going to, as a cancer patient, that will probably receive benefit because of what happened over here in Reese did in his life and how he used that money to help others. That's something, how God works. You think it's growing up, I would have ever thought that my friend over here that I've grown up with since kindergarten would allow the money that he's had and invested and saved over the years to be used to help a friend that I had no idea I would ever meet in kindergarten. That's how God works. That's how God's story unfolds itself. People giving sacrificially, you know. People say, well, he didn't give it till he died, but he also didn't spend it while he lived, okay? He didn't waste it. He didn't squander it. He invested it, and his plan all along was to somehow, when it was found the proper time, to find somebody he could help with what he was doing here on earth. Man, that's a fantastic story. This is a story of Christmas. It's a story of self-sacrifice. You know, he could have done anything he wanted to do, but he was content just to live out his life as God would have him leave it. There are no telling how many people have been touched by his story while in the hospital. How many people will have the opportunity to be touched by what he left there in town with a cancer wing there that that he funded to help people who are going through probably the darkest times in their lives with a terrible disease that he can bring some comfort, you know, and bring the opportunity maybe for somebody to come to Christ through that same comfort. I mean, we don't realize these things. I would have never dreamed in kindergarten that he would help a friend that I'd never met. That's why God works. That's what I'm saying. His kingdom works behind the scenes in things we can't tell, things we can't do. You know, unfortunately today, I'll be honest, I can identify myself better with Herod than I can any of the other characters we've seen. Can y'all? I mean, let's be honest. I can really identify that you would fear losing the things you have, that you would fear losing the lifestyle you would have, that you would fear losing, you know, anything that you've worked to gain, any, any of the comforts that we have. I can relate to that. I'm more like Herod than I am Joseph or Mary. And I think if you, if you, you search your lives, you may find some of the same things. You know, it's not a, it's not a happy story of Herod, you know, changed his life. Herod died and, and, you know, from, we don't know, but he likely was living in eternity separated from God because of the choices he made in his life. Don't be that way. Don't be the Herod. You know, be the Mary, be the Joseph, be the one willing to be self-sacrificing, be the one that is willing to give up what you have so others may have Christ. And that's what it's all about. When I talk about being sacrificing, I'm not talking about you have to take a, a vow of poverty or live like a monk or anything like that. I'm just talking about being receptive to God's plan and being receptive to the things that he would have you to do. And maybe when it doesn't make step make sense to make that step, trust God. Even if it looks like God, this may be a wrong step, it may harm my career or my income or things like that. If he wants you to make that step, he's got a bigger step out here in mind that you're not aware of that's working for the kingdom, that's not working for this. And let's just keep an open mind this Christmas season. Keep an open mind of those around us and 
Guys, I'm proud of y'all for some of the things you've done in helping families within our church and within our community. It's what this season's about. I hope you, I hope you got a blessing for this as I have, helping others that aren't as fortunate as us and helping them to have a little bit of life this year. Because, you know, the light that they see through us may be the only Jesus they see this season. Because it's not out there anymore, guys. It's not about the birth of the Redeemer, the birth of the Savior. It's not about that anymore, even during the Christmas season. And people don't get to see it anymore. And I just pray that you can have that impact on their lives, have that giving spirit, and let them see Jesus work through you. Let them say, why did they do that? It doesn't make sense. I mean, I got to experience that something. I won't go into the details of the story, but I got to see some people outside the church that were helped by people in this church, and they couldn't understand why we would do it. That's Jesus. When people in the community can't understand why you would do this for somebody you don't know, you would sacrifice something from, from yourself to help make their lives better, man, that's showing Jesus to somebody that doesn't know him. And that's what I, my prayer is for us during this Christmas time, is to not be like Herod and trying to hang on to what we have, but to see how much of it we can give away, to see how much of it we can give to others, give, give to, to ministries and things that make a difference in the kingdom and things that, where we can be Jesus to those that don't see him, whether they be, be white, black, Muslim, political parties, whatever, that our number one goal is for Jesus to be seen through us. Guys, band, would you guys get ready to come back out and, uh, as we pray here? In closing, Father, I thank you for this day, Lord. I, 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 just, I just pray that you will help instill in all of us the, the direction we need to have for our lives when it comes to being self-sacrificing, God. It's so hard. It's not, it's not natural, and I, I know you know that. You made us, God, and you put warnings throughout Scripture about us being about self. But nonetheless, it's still hard, God. It's, it's difficult to do things that, where we put others first in our lives to the point of even harming our own families, our own welfare, our own benefits, our own finances, our own time. All those things, God, that we give up. And just help us to remember, God, that we're not working for a kingdom here on earth. We're not working for material wealth here. We're not working for comfort here. We're not working for our time here, God. We're working for you. We're working on your schedule and for the things that benefit you and your kingdom, God. And that's, a, that's an eternal perspective that so many of us don't have. But I pray during this Christmas season, God, we'll, we'll take this lesson of Herod and how someone was... So concerned he would lose something that he lost everything, God. And I pray that you'll, you'll help us to realize that you know, we can afford to give some of our time and talents and finances and things. Lord, that we can give of those things for your sake, God, so that your, your name will be known. And Lord, that when we hear about others that don't know you, God, I want the first thing that comes to our mind to be, oh God, how I wish I could somehow share the, share the good news with these people and get them out of the bondage they're under. Not that they're be afraid of them because they're different from us or, or be loathe them because they have a different political view than we do. But to say, God, oh, I, I, I so want them to know Jesus and who he is. That's what this time of year is about, God. That's the reason you came. You came to save those. You came to, you're, you're not a doctor that came to heal those that were well. You came to heal those that are sick and those that are without you, God. And just pray as, as those of us that have accepted you, God, we'll take this as a challenge today to go forth throughout this season and every day to live like we're living truly for you, God. And if there's any here, God, that haven't started to follow you, I pray that somehow that they will see through this season, God, the miraculous thing that you did, the gift that you gave us and the sacrifice that Jesus made, that while we're yet sinners, he died for us, God, and that 
that that death is what enables us to spend eternity with you if we will just trust him and that that death was sufficient to cover the sins and the selfishness and the things in our life, God. If we'll accept him during the season, God, I pray there's anyone here like that, Lord, that they'll accept him, God. Just pray and thank you for this church, what it means to have all of us, this fellowship here together, Lord. And thank you for the blessings you have given us during this time of year. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.